know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I'm going to have a pastoral prayer now, praying for the needs of our congregation uh, as, as well as the needs of our world. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who hears the prayers of your people. It says in your word that you incline your ear to the righteous. And Father, we know that you hear us because of Christ Jesus shed blood on our behalf. So we come to you in his name, asking you to hear our prayers. Father, we first pray for the needs of our congregation. Father, we, we pray for uh, Janice uh, in Dupali. God, we pray for her and Simeon that you give them wisdom uh, as they think through how to care for their family. We pray for Janice's uh, father who is struggling with um, uh, having this COVID-19, Lord, and, and the side effects from it. And we pray, God, that you'd be gracious to him, that you bring him healing. And we also pray, God, that you bring comfort and peace to that family. Father, we also just pray for all those in our, in our networks of people who have been infected by this, um, friends and colleagues, um, uh, uh, in-laws and, and friends of other colleagues that we may know. We, we just pray, God, that your hand of, of, of grace would be upon uh, all those who are struggling with this, visal, this virus physically. We also pray for, for those who, who have lost jobs. Um, uh, we pray specifically for, for Stephanie Tinker, God. We pray that you'd find her, help her find new work. God, we pray that you'd be with um, uh, James Porter, uh, Father, for uh, Jen Gross, um, uh, and others, Lord, who are struggling um, uh, not being able to work uh, because of this virus. Lord, there are myriads of people who have been affected by it, those in so many different fields. We pray your, your hand of, of grace would be upon them. Father, we do pray for all those who are um, uh, shepherding children and uh, uh, their students during this time, our teachers. God, we pray you'd give them strength and wisdom as they shepherd them well uh, during this time. Father, that maybe even deeper relationships would, would be birthed because of it. We pray for those in, in, in the healthcare field, specifically for, for Amber Hinson. God, we pray that as she goes into work, we pray, God, that you would strengthen her, that you give her endurance and, and wisdom. Father, we pray that you'd keep her physically safe uh, with not contracting this virus, but we pray that she would be a blessing. Father, we pray for all of us um, who are dealing with anxiety and fear uh, during these days. We pray that you would um, give us comfort um, in your word and that you would give us a peace that only you can give that would transcend our understanding. Please, Lord, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, would you pray for our world? We pray specifically for um, the country of Spain today, Lord, as the outbreak continues to, to rise there. God, we pray for our, our church partner and Peter McNillan, a pastor there. We pray, God, that you would bless him and his church. Lord, we pray that you would keep them safe, but also let them be a gospel witness in that land. God, we pray that your mercy would, would, would be there. We pray the gospel would, would bear fruit because of the proclamation of the gospel during the season. God, we also just pray for other churches in our area. We pray for the Dream Center Church today um, and uh, Pastor Paul Crosby. Father, we pray that you give him uh, strength and wisdom to lead his, his people, uh, young church plant. Father, we pray your hand of blessing would be upon him. And Lord, we pray for our government. We pray specifically for Pastor Trump and uh, Dr. Fossey as they help lead this 
um, and, and um, Vice President Pence help lead this uh, task force against this virus. We pray for wisdom there. God, as, as there, there have been talks on whether or not to try to open things up from the, for the economy as, as Easter is approaching, we pray, God, that they would just have wisdom. They would uh, follow your will. Lord, we pray that you, you would guide uh, their hands. And Father, now as we uh, come to your word, uh, we pray that you would, would teach us, that you would allow us to see you in the midst of this. We pray that we would see that you are our shepherd, that you are the gate, the door, the only way to salvation. Father, we pray that we would be reminded of how intimate you are with your people, how you know your sheep, how you call them by name. So, Father, I ask now that you would do far more abundantly than I could possibly ask or imagine. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be heralded. And as I announce your, your word, I pray that you would preach through me by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you would allow this message to bear eternal fruit. Encourage your saints, convict those who are lost, and point them both to Christ and the salvation he offers. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I grew up in uh, Palatine, uh, Illinois, and uh, there was this kind of uh, this saying, this kind of story that was kind of circulating around our friends that there was kind of this insane asylum that was haunted on Cuba Road. There was this insane asylum that was haunted on Cuba Road, and then there was this uh, maze that this man apparently built uh, for uh, one of his children um, that he buried in the middle of it, right? Now, these are kind of legends of yore, as you would say. These, we don't know if this was true or not, but if, as a teenage boy, you can tend to believe many things. So we decided to go and discover what was in the middle of this maze. Uh, so uh, we went there uh, outside of Cuba Road, and we found this maze. It was probably myself and about 15 people. We were not really being um, uh, very uh, conspicuous. Uh, my friend said, uh, Dave, you need to go knock on the door and ask him if we can go into his maze. So I went and knocked on the door and asked him if we could go into his maze. He looked at us and he said, of course not. And he shut the door quickly in our face. I'm sure he may have gotten those requests from children from all the various high schools around. Um, well, we decided that his answer was not good enough for us. Uh, so there was uh, this hedges of maize um, with bushes, and there was doors at, at both ends, and they were locked. But on the side, there was barbed wire, and we decided to sneak in the maze. So I led the charge, and I was sneaking in the maze, and I was about to go to the center of the maze and kind of to the point where you're about to be lost, and one of my friends started screaming uh, to be funny, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought something serious was happening. Uh, it, was, it was late at night, and I was scared. So I ran out of the maze, and I tripped on the barbed wire and scraped up my leg. I was not trying to be a thief, but I was acting like one. Uh, I don't recommend those children to, who are listening to, to do that, uh, because there was only one way you should have gone in the maze. That was by the door. That was by the gate. But the gate was 
locked. If anyone tried to come in from the outside, he tried to climb in the fence, they were thieves. Those were people who were unwanted. Now, I didn't steal anything. I was just being a mischievous child. I don't recommend that. Children, obey your parents. Um, but uh, I have experienced people trying to break into my home. When I was in college, my house was robbed, robbed seven different times. Uh, when I was living in Washington, D.C., we had one moment when someone tried to come in through one of our windows, uh, but thankfully they heard the alarm and they ran and they scattered, right? Uh, those of you who have been kind of experienced, those who have uh, been violated from, from those who were thieves, it creates uneasiness, creates anxiety, creates things that, were, that are unsettling. Um, there's a way in, and that's to the door. That's to the gate. There's one way in. If you come in another way, you are a, a thief. And that's really what Jesus is trying to explain today. He's trying to explain there is one way in, but he's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about his house, God's house, his kingdom. There is one way in. And during this whole passage, he kind of talks about two different metaphors, the metaphor of the door and the metaphor of a shepherd. He kind of mixes them up a little bit. Those of you who've been following with us in the series of John, we've been looking at the seven signs of John, then the seven I am statements of John. We're in the third I am statement, and Jesus is, calls himself the door. We'll see that very clearly in our passage today. Why well, does I want to walk through this passage? I really want to walk through this passage with four questions. With four questions. The first question is how do you enter? How do you enter? And the, the picture we have here in the text is, a, is the sheepfold. How do you enter in the sheepfold or the sheep pen? So look with me again in, in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Now, if you remember last week, we kind of finished this story of, the, of the, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And at the end of that, uh, this, that discourse, he created, uh, or he didn't create, but he, um, he performed a miracle. He made that man who was born blind and gave him sight. And that, 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 met, that, that miracle was a picture to help the Pharisees who were hearing Jesus to understand that they themselves were blind. Well, look with me, just for the context's sake, at the beginning of chapter 9, because this is all one a continuous scene. So, at the end of chapter 9, in verse 35, Jesus heard that it was cast out, him cast out, and having said that, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he? Sir, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may not become blind. Jesus is speaking to the blind man, and the blind man says, You have given me sight. I believed. And this man worshiped Jesus. But notice right there, verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So you see confusion and you can see misunderstanding in John. And then the very next thing, you see Jesus kind of giving a teaching about who he is and the gospel. 
Friends, if you have not followed the Jesus Christ, he is so kind in the Gospels. He shows himself again and again and again. People who reject him, people who misunderstand him, he clarifies who he is again and again and again. I pray that you would see that today. But right there in, in, in chapter 10, verse 1, he introduces these thieves and these robbers. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, thieves and robbers were very common in the ancient world, right? Some, uh, some towns would have been very familiar with how often they uh, attacked uh, the sheep and stole. Um, now, remember, in this context of the entire book, the one who was kind of looked at as a thief or as a, as a liar, maybe the one who was looking as one who's robbing God of his glory, is, is Satan. So in chapter 8, you see this, this comparison of, of you that are a child of God or a child of, of Satan. Satan is the father of, of lies. Now, in this context in, in particular, who are the thieves and the robbers? Well, Jesus is saying the thieves and the robbers are actually the religious leaders. They're the Pharisees who are blind. They're leading people astray. They're more concerned with fleecing themselves rather than the, using their, their position to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Uh, we see that in the prophecy in uh, Ezekiel chapter 34. They were not teaching good doctrine. Uh, friends, there are lots of thieves and robbers today who are religious leaders. Uh, there's a lot of different religions out there that, that, that promise salvation in a way that is not through the one way, Jesus Christ, the door. So religions like Islam, Mormonism, Judaism, Jehovah's Witness, Hinduism, Buddhism, I would say all of these are religious leaders who are thieves and robbers. They are trying to get in the sheepfold. They're trying to get in the house. They're trying to get in God's kingdom another way. And Jesus would call them thieves and robbers. We have false teachers even within our own uh, denomination, our own evangelical circle, who, who don't teach the whole counsel of God's Word. They may teach false doctrine. We have some who, who, who preach the gospel of being nice, the gospel of being a good person. All we need to do is to be good and kind to one another, and we are saved. Now, I am so thankful for how many stories I'm hearing during this uh, virus of people doing good work, uh, people making masks for those who are in the medical field. Do that. Keep on doing that. Those who are, are bringing meals to those who are serving on the front lines. Praise God, keep that up. And you're going to find this, this underlying element that people want to celebrate those things as a way for salvation. As a way, if you do these things, you are going to um, experience blessings from God. Well, that is not exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that if you are a good person, you're going to go to heaven. The Bible teaches that you are not good. Unless you trust in the one good person, Jesus Christ, you will enter in. They are good, but they are incomplete. Or maybe the therapeutic gospel that often is, is taught in our, in our pulpits, where the fall was, was really primarily about our failure uh, to reach our potential. And what Jesus Christ did, He came to help, us, to, to help us restore and recover our ability to reach and gain our full a potential. The cross shows us that we are valuable and can, can, can become more than we are, but it's not about salvation from sin and death and hell. Well, friends, we have to be careful for all the different thieves and robbers that are being presented to us. 
As I said before, Ezekiel chapter 34, 1 through 3, there's a rebuking of the false shepherds of Israel. We would be, we would be foolish to think that there can't be false shepherds in the church. We must be on guard. But then Jesus says, who is the shepherd? Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Well, how do you know? Because he came in the right way. He came in through the door, through the gate. Well, just as if you have your, your Bible, you can maybe hold it here. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Ezekiel 34 and Numbers uh, 27. So I just want to highlight this again about the prophecy that Jesus made that was fulfilled, that Jesus is fulfilling from Ezekiel 34. So it says, For thus says, verse 11 in Ezekiel 34, says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his own flock when he is among his sheep and that have been scattered, so I will seek out, seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered in the days of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and, and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by ravines and all the inhabited places of the countries. I will feed them with a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Now hear these words, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the sheep. The fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Do You see that the prophecy Jesus Christ is fulfilling. At the end of Ezekiel 34, you see this even stronger declaration of, of who, the, who the shepherd's going to be. 22 through 24, I will rescue my flock and they, they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up or over them one shepherd my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This idea that the good shepherd is going to come, he's going to enter through the, the gate and lead his people out is exactly what Jesus Christ is saying that he is doing. So one of the beauties, the beautiful things of the Bible is how much it's connected from Genesis to Revelation. So if you're here and you're not listening, maybe you're watching at home and you're not a Christian, let me just say this. If you study how many prophecies Jesus Christ fulfills from the Old Testament, it will gain more and more validity about His veracity, about His truthfulness. Jesus Christ is not a thief and is not a robber. He comes to the door and fulfills all the prophecies of old. In Numbers 27, there's this kind of this dual prophecy. Uh, Moses is speaking here, thinking about who is God going to raise up after him, kind of primarily in Joshua, but Joshua was a representative figure of Jesus and kind of looks forward to the future shepherd. And listen to what Moses said. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. That's a huge imagery throughout the Bible. God does not have a people who have no shepherd. Jesus is the long-awaited one. 
He is the, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And it says, you can enter God's sheep pen through the good shepherd. Because for him, in verse 3a, it says that him, the gatekeeper, opens. So that first question is, how do you enter? Well, you enter through the door, through the gate. Second question is, how do you follow? How do you follow? This is verses 3 through 5 of John chapter 10. It says, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his, all his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The beginning of any relationship really begins with a hello. <laughs> Anytime you, uh, you meet someone new, it's, it's hello, how are you doing? You kind of you learn their, their voice uh, initially. Well, that hello turns into a voice of, of comfort. Uh, think about a child in the womb. It's been said that they can hear early on in, uh, in, their, um, in their development uh, in the womb, and it's often said that you should read to the, to the child, you should talk to the child uh, in the womb. Why? Because they can hear your voice. They recognize that voice. And when a child is born, what happens? They, they respond to the voice of their parents. Why? Because they know it. The voice has brought them comfort in the womb. They respond to that call. Well, it's very similar here. Those who, are, who belong to God hear His voice. It's interesting in all these themes that we see of Jesus' I am statements, you know, I am the, the bread of life, I am the light of the world, here, I am the door. These I am's are kind of a, a, a Jesus declaring that He is the I am of the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am, meaning I am, tell them that I am sent you. Jesus is trying to say, tell everyone He is the I am. And it's interesting that we, we trace all these stories that John is trying to do. The one defining factor of whether or not you believe that Jesus Christ is the I am of the Old Testament, is the sovereign God, is how you hear His voice. It's how you listen and hear the Word of God. And I think it's fitting for, for John because how does John even describe Jesus? Jesus is the Word became flesh. Jesus is defined as the Word, and throughout this book, what you see is that Jesus says, hear my voice, hear my Word. So I guess for us, we have to ask ourselves, how are you listening to the Word? What habits are you implementing to keep yourself in the Word? Listen, this world and the system that is against Christ wants you to close your Bibles and not listen to it. Listen, we are filled with all sorts of distractions. God wants the Bible to inform every second of your time. And I pray, I'm praying fervently for you during this season that God would, would use these, this, this, this season of, of scaling life back to force you to remove the distractions you have built up in your life so that you would hear the Word of God. Distractions are abounding. Probably even more so now because there's a whole lot more people in your, in your house. The kids are home all the time. Just yesterday, my, my wife was in the other room and she was uh, working on something and she called out to me and the, the, the TV was on, the children were, uh, were talking, and I couldn't hear her. 
So what did I have to do? I had to turn off the TV. I had to tell the children to be quiet. And I had to say again, what did you say? Because I want to hear the voice of my wife. But I have to remove the distractions so that I can hear her. Well, listen, there was many times in my life where I know what my wife is thinking, right? Even if she's not there. I may hear a word and, and, and we may uh, hear the same word. We, we think the same things. Well, why? It's because we, we know each other. I know how my wife thinks. I know how my wife uh, you know, reacts to things. So I kind of I know her, her voice. I don't just know her voice when she speaks to me, but I know how she interacts with things. Listen, if we want to know the voice of the Lord, we have to immerse ourselves in God's Word. That's how we hear the voice of God. We have to take it in in all these different ways. What, well, how do we take in the Word of God? Well, here, here's just a few that I would encourage you to do. One, read. Sometimes it's just good to read your Bible. If you don't have a, a Bible reading plan, begin one today. Take time to read God's Word. Just read, the, read it for breath, but also study God's Word. Look at the different connections in word choices. Do word studies. Read commentaries. Get a study Bible. Right? There's a lot of excellent resources out there. You know, the, 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 the challenge for many of us is not that we don't have the resource. The challenge is that we just don't use them. So read your Bible. Study. Meditate. Think deeply on the Scriptures. Wrestle with it. You know, one easy way to do that is to journal. And I'd say journal with pen and paper. Well, when you journal with a pen and paper, what happens? You actually have to think. It slows you down, Right? I don't know about you, but if I'm typing things on my computer, I can often get distracted, right? Different notifications may pop up or, you know, but when you're writing and you're away from technology, it can really slow you down and help you meditate. Another encouragement is just memorize the Word. Write God's Word on your heart. The Bible says this is what people used to do in ancient days. Most uh, boys before the age of 10 would have, have to memorize um, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, right? We can do this. You know, John Whitaker with our college students is challenging all our college students to memorize the Sermon on the Mount during this season, right? I mean, just think about how often reciting those words would bless your heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I mean, saying those things again and again and again will encourage your hearts during these seasons. But notice, it just doesn't just say that the sheep hear His voice. It says, He calls His own sheep by name. Before He even enters into the sheep pen, He knows their name. You know, it's fascinating when you study how sheep interact. In the ancient world, the, a lot of times sheep would travel, and when they would travel, all the sheep would be put into one pen, and uh, all the pens would be there. And what the shepherd would do, he would just call them by name and make his own call, and the sheep would respond distinctively to his voice, and they would come out. They would just respond to their shepherd. I mean, just think about a child who's in a crowd, and they're, they're scared, they don't know where to go, and then all of a sudden they hear their father's voice raise up above the crowd. And what happens? They instinctively respond and follow because they know their voice. This 
This whole entire um, section is just showing the intimacy that God has with His people. I mean, I don't know about you, but my wife can, can hear the, the cries of my children and know not only which child it is, but which, what kind of cry is it? Is it one that is real pain or one that is just unhappy, right? For not getting what they want. Um, a mother's thoughts of her child and time they spend together, they know their child. This is what God does. God knows us. And this is just kind of true as throughout the whole entire Bible. It says that God has predestined us before the foundation of the world to be adopted as His sons. It's been plain from the beginning that God was going to give His sheep to the Son. This is what we looked at last week. Jesus Christ has been given these, she- these sheep by God, and, and He will keep them until the end. But notice that this, the God of the universe, the one who created the whole world, does what? He calls them by name. This is, God calls you by name when He calls you to Himself because He knows you. We see this throughout the Scriptures. We see this, Jesus looking in at Zacchaeus and going, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Martha, Martha, Simon, son of Jonah, Lazarus, come out. He knows us by name. But not only that, He, he leads them out. He leads them out, out of this world into the kingdom. And He leads them as their shepherd. This is the calling of all believers. When He has brought out all of His own, look what it says in verse 4. When He has brought out all His own. Jesus Christ will not lose one of His saints. If you read through John chapter 10 and you still doubt whether Jesus Christ is, um, could, could, you could lose your salvation, right? I would ask you to read it again because Jesus Christ will not lose anyone. All that belong to the Son will be kept. The Son will accomplish all the Father has given them. And after He brings them out, what does He do? He says, He goes before them and the sheep will follow Him for they know His voice. Our shepherd leads us from the front. I pray we would follow his example. The third question, third question I'd ask you is, how do you understand? How, you, how do you understand? Or really, I could just ask you, do you understand? Do you understand? This is really verses 5 and 6. It says, a stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, them being the Pharisees from the end of chapter 9, who saw the interaction of the blind man yet did not believe, but they did not understand that he, what he was saying to them. These imposters try to do the same thing, but they, they can't. The sheep know their, the shepherd's voice. They don't know the imposter's voice. This is one of the first things that you teach your children is, is to stay away from strangers, Right? A stranger danger, right? When the kids are seeing a stranger, they, they run, they leave because they do not know um, who they are. Well, listen, we should, we should teach that to our children, stranger danger, run away from strangers, run away from imposters. Well, listen, we need to do that to our, to our theological minds. And we need to teach our, our kids to run away from stranger danger theologically. You know, I mean, how many, how many children's movies do you watch when it begins with bad advice? from a stranger, whether that's 
Pinocchio, and Pinocchio being led into uh, mischief, or Ariel being talked to uh, Ursula, or, or Sleeping Beauty to, to the witch. You see these stories again and again. Why? Because they're dangerous. Imposters, false shepherds. This is what happened to Eve. Satan crept into the garden and lied about the truth. We have to be careful of the, the influences on our theology. If you read a bad theologian consistently, you will start to think like that theologian, even if they are heretical or dangerous. I, I, I was thinking about the story of Adoniram Judson. Uh, Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma, uh, helped see 7,000 churches planted by the end of his, or after his ministry. And yet, he was raised in a Christian home. Uh, he went to Brown University. And when he went to Brown University, like so many uh, uh, college students, like we see even today, started being influenced by false philosophy. Uh, one of the philosophical influences was a man named Jacob Eames. Uh, Jacob Eames influenced him against the, the Scriptures. Uh, he rejected all revealed religion. He even ridiculed God. He ridiculed uh, the Bible. Um, and uh, Adoniram Judson was kind of fell sway to this theology. At 20 years old, he came home and he told his parents that, that he left um, the faith. Uh, he was a valedictorian of Brown University and became a playwright in New York City. And as a playwright, he started to find discontentment in his own soul. So he was traveling home one day to visit his family and stopped at an inn um, for the night. And the innkeeper said, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, but we only have one room available and that room is next to a man who's dying, and it's, it's really difficult. He said, I'm, I'm sorry, why, I, I need a room, so can I have that room? So all night, this man just was screaming in agony and in pain, and that night, that's when uh, Judson was having these thoughts. Is this man prepared for death? In this moment, that's really all that matters. Am I? Am I prepared for death? He could even here that night, he said, as you recounted it, that I could hear Eames's voice in my head. Really, Judson? You're weak. Are you really the valedictorian of Brown University, spooked by a little superstitious religion? Eventually, the screaming stopped, and he went to bed. Woke up the next morning feeling refreshed, shaming himself for doubting uh, his philosophy. He came down to the innkeeper, and he asked about the man, and the man said, yeah, he, he, he died last night. And Judson just kind of said, well, do you know who he was? And the innkeeper replied, yes, a young man from college in Providence, a man named Eames, Jacob Eames. This man who led Judson away from faith died alone. And this is what Judson said when he wrote about it later, lost. In death, Jacob Eames was lost, utterly, irrevocably lost. Lost to his friends, to the world, to the future. Lost as a puff of smoke is lost in the infinite infinity of air. If Eames' own views were true, neither his life nor his death had any meaning. But suppose Eames had been mistaken. Suppose the Scriptures were literally true and a personal God real. For that Hell should open in the country in and snatch Jacob Eames, my dearest friend and guide, from the next bed. This could not, simply could not be 
a coincidence. Jacob Eames was a blind guide who led Judson astray. But God was wooing and calling Judson back to himself. I don't know about you, but there's certain people in your life who you probably give more weight or more voice to than anyone else. Who is that weight? Who is that voice that, that helps you think about how to navigate life? Some of those voices are good and some of them are bad. I pray that you would give the proper weight to the right person, that you would not have blind guides, but you would focus on God's Word and God's Christ. The best way to know imposters is by studying the truth. This is why Jesus continues to talk about Himself. And He spoke to them very kindly. He said, listen, you know, He says that here in verse 6 that He used this figure of speech. That's the, the same kind of idea of a, of a parable as we see in the synoptics. John doesn't use that word, a parable. He uses figure of speech. He spoke in kind of a, a, a cloaked way to, to, to test the Pharisees. And these Pharisees are blind guides like Jacob Eames, they are so confident that they know the truth, but they're missing it. Those who are often the most confident atheists, the most confident in their beliefs, are really blind. They speak with authority, but they are lost. Let me just ask you, if you are not a Christian, ask yourself, am I blind? Am I like these Pharisees? Am I lost? What if... Christianity were true. Which brings us to the fourth question. Who do you follow? Who do you follow? Again, we see misunderstanding in verse 41 of chapter 9, and Jesus explains that He is the door. Well, we see misunderstanding in verse 6, and we see, again, Jesus explaining the gospel again. Look at verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Listen, friends, there is only one way into the sheep pen, and Jesus makes that claim explicitly. I am the door. He is the only way into the pasture. The pasture the, is the promised land. The pasture is, is the heavenly kingdom of God. In, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus uses the same illustration. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. It says, Jesus went on His way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying through, toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? I, I pray that when you, when you ask yourself, just hear that question, because right now there's a lot of people thinking about that question. They're thinking about life and death. Who is going to be sick? Who is going to be, to be saved? That's, that's a present reality that we're facing. But listen, that present reality masked an even greater reality of eternity. The people in, of ancient days cared about eternal life much more than we. We are, we are so caught in the temporary, so caught in the right now. So they asked Jesus, who will, will those who will be saved be few? Will there be little in number? And this is what he said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter 
and will not be able. When the master of the house is risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then we will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught us in your streets. But he will say, I tell you, I, did not, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out, and people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first. Some who are first will be last. We want to strive to enter through the narrow door. And Jesus says the narrow door is himself. He says it similarly in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule we're taught in kindergarten. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But Jesus doesn't enter there. The very next words he says is, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter in it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Listen, friends, during this season, what we need to do for one another is we need to call and check on each other to make sure that we're still heading towards the narrow door. I pray that every single one of our members of our congregation would, would contact four to five people every single week. I'm so encouraged that when I reach out to people, as I have this past week, I've said, how are you doing this? I'm so encouraged by the calls I've gotten from this person and that person and and this person. Praise God for how we are shepherding, caring for each other. Because listen, friends, the road is wide that leads to destruction, and many find it. Our job as church members is to link arms with one another and strive for the narrow gate, to walk obediently and faithfully towards Christ. There's two ways to view Jesus' words here in John 10, being the narrow gate, being the door. We can view it as restrictive, as negative, which is probably the way many people read it in our country. Many people look at what Jesus' words and say, that's too exclusive. We've been kind of trained culturally to to believe in tolerance, that there's many ways uh, to heaven, that if Jesus is the door and everyone else is wrong, that um, that is bigotry. How could you think or say that? Well, You could look at it negatively, but you could also look at it positively. We're hearing lots of statistics every single day, and you you could look at some, some, some things positively or some things negatively, depending on how you look at these statistics. Jesus is the same way. You're going to look at it negatively. That's so restrictive that Jesus is the only way. Or you could look at it positively. There's actually a way. You who are a sinner, who are separated from God because of your sin and rightly condemned, you have a way to get to heaven. You have a salvation that has been offered for you. You have a way to the green pasture. You have a way to the promise. You have a way to heaven. Jesus says, if you enter by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. Did you hear those words? If anyone, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and find pasture. Listen, friends, if you are worried about your life, if you are worried about your eternity, I pray that you would come to Jesus. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter how how sinful you are. If anyone enters by Jesus Christ, 
you will be saved. So how do we enter? How does this coming through Christ? Well, we repent and believe. We turn from our sins and we trust in Christ, His death in our place on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. You and I are sinners and our sin needs to be paid for. Therefore, God sent His Son, Jesus, to pay for it on the cross. And we know that God accepted the payment because He rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, in this life, there are two ways to live. You can either live as Jesus is the King, He is the door, He is the way, or there is another. Well, Jesus makes it very clear that those who who believe in another are thieves and are robbers. All other rulers, even yourself, are thieves. They are there to steal, kill, and destroy. Sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. But the end is the same. It leads to destruction. Jesus is the only one who brings you abundant life now and for eternity. The way of Christ is the way of true fulfillment. I mean, just think about us right now. As a nation, as a world, how much safety and security are being shattered right now? How much false hopes are being torn down? They're being whittled away. Will you come to the door? Will you enter in? Now, I I know that many of you are sports fans in our congregation. I know I am. And uh, this past week should have been the start of uh, baseball season, uh, opening day. Um, And as a a Chicago Cub fan, um, I listened to a few of my favorite Chicago Cubs songs this past week to to mourn and grieve over the loss of baseball season so far. Uh, Eddie Vedder, uh, front man for Pearl Jam, kids, ask your parents, right, uh, sang a song called All the Way, and uh, this is what what he wrote. He says, when you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed the first time you walk into Wrigley Field. There's something special as a, as a kid growing up in Chicago, walking into Wrigley Field. You have this, this beautiful place uh, where all your, uh, your, your favorite players and, 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 and memories are. And yet everyone, to get into that promised land, to get into that great place, as the great uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, all comes through the turnstile. When you go through a turnstile at a sporting event, whether it's a football game or a baseball game, you all go through in one at a time. There's only room for one. There's only one way in. You can't take anything with you, no other philosophies, no other hopes of salvation. This turnstile communicates that you believe fully and wholly in Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Every person must believe for themselves, for every person dies for themselves. Friend, will you believe that Jesus is the door? I plead that you do and you walk through it. And friends, if you have gone through the door and you are in Christ Jesus, let me just say this to you, you are already in the sheepfold. You are already in the sheep pen. You are already God's house. You are already part of God's kingdom. He has given you safety and protection. Read the second half of Ezekiel 34 as this prophecy is fulfilled. You are safe. You have been provided for forever. He is a faithful Savior and He is a good shepherd. He will lead His sheep, but we must follow His voice. In the midst of all that is going on around us, 
We need to show the world that we have a good Savior by trusting His voice, by submitting to Him, and walk in faith and not fear. Showing the world that our shepherd is a good shepherd and is trustworthy. So let us point people during this season to the door, that they may have abundant life and peace with God that only Christ offers. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would believe that Jesus Christ is the door, the only way to salvation, and that by believing we may have life, abundant life in His name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.